Thanks for checking out this weekly Sunday message from Carrollton UMC. We pray that God will use this to speak to you and help you grow in faith. We invite you to join us this Sunday at our 10.30 a.m. one-hour service in person at our location in Uptown New Orleans or live online on our YouTube channel or Facebook page. To learn more about Carrollton, please visit carrolltonumc.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Our scripture this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Romans. It's chapter 11, verses 11 through 16. Again, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much more greater riches will their full inclusion bring? If I am talking to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. The word of God for us, the people of God. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you in all ways, for you are our rock and our ever-present Redeemer. Amen. So today's scripture kind of jumped out at me as being appropriate for Fourth of July weekend. Salvation has come to the Gentiles. This reminds me a little bit of the origins of our country, where people on the fringes, on the margins, came together and formed a great nation. It seems certain to me that the rest of the world would not, at least not initially, have predicted success of the United States. At some level, their unbelief, their transgression paved the way for our success. You know, I entitled today's message, Vision. Because in part, it seemed to me that the Israelites in the story today, in the scripture, in their transgressions to which Paul is alluding in the scripture, the Israelites lacked vision. Vision, in this sense, is the perception of what the world's going to look like if the Israelites had accomplished their original mission from God, which was to spread the word about God to the rest of the world. A compelling vision in that manner, is what drives your mission. If we think that what we're going to do or embark upon, you know, our mission, is not going to have profoundly good, deep consequences, then we're much less likely to engage wholeheartedly in the mission. For example, who knows the mission statement for the United Methodist Church? Anybody? Somebody knows it. Making disciples of Jesus for the transformation of the world. Now, that's a little bit of a mission-vision hybrid statement because the, the mission statement sort of embeds the vision statement within it. The vision is the last part, true transformation of the world. Now, we can argue whether that vision might be better or more fully articulated, for example, to include what that transformation of the world would look like. 
But one thing is for certain that if we don't deeply believe down in our core that if we, if we are, uh, achieve the mission, that the vision is going to come true, that we're really going to transform the world and also kind of have an understanding of what that transformation looks like, we can picture it, we're probably not going to put much effort into the mission, which is making disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, as far as the church is concerned, our vision is supported because we believe we're going to prevail simply because our, we know that our Savior has prevailed. And for a successful nation, generally speaking, it's a little different because there's a distinct possibility that prior successes, like our nation has had, could have a dimming effect on the future vision. Why would we succeed at that same level again when we have come kind of complacent based upon our prior successes? And additionally, don't we need to succeed at an even higher level in order to be considered a successful generation in our nation? Now, that's not only distracted and flawed reasoning, but for the United States, it's forgetting that we were founded as, and for Christians in the United States, should we say should still be and still are, one nation under God. Just like the church then, our nation and our generation needs to believe that we are going to prevail because our Savior, Jesus Christ, prevailed. We push back on that prospect, though. We, we can, uh, are concerned that our national success is neither imminent nor maybe even not possible because we point to all sorts of failings and transgressions around us that we think are, are harming and undoing the fabric of the country. The good news is, is that God will work with that in God's own way. The scripture today is absolutely on point concerning the transgressions of the Israelites and how God both overrules human sin and then weaves it into his sovereign plan. Of course, perhaps the greatest example of this, of God doing this, is the cross. Evil men crucified the sinless Son of God, and yet in the process they inadvertently fulfill God's purpose of salvation for the entire world. Paul's pattern in his missionary efforts was to witness first to the Israelites, and if they rejected the message, then Paul would then witness to the Gentiles. So in this sense, the Jews' transgression resulted in salvation for the Gentiles. No one would have predicted that. Well, except maybe Jesus. Because Jesus foretold in the parables that the sins of man and what man would eventually do leading to Jesus' crucifixion, he predicted what that would lead to. In Matthew 21, he tells the parable of the landowner who has tenants running vineyards on it. And he, he sends his servants out there to the tenants to collect the rent, basically, and the tenants kill the servants. So eventually, thinking that they will respect the son, the landowner sends his son out to collect the rent and the land and the tenants kill him as well. And the scripture tells us that the landowner would bring those evil tenants to a wretched end and rent out the vineyard to other people who would pay the owner the proper proceeds. And then Jesus says this, he says, therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation that produces fruit from it. That nation 
is the Christian church made up of all believers in the gospel, whether you are Jew or Gentile. While we should never excuse or justify our sin or the sins of society by saying that, well, some good's going to come out of that, the point is at the same time that we can take confidence in the fact that human unbelief and sin can never thwart God's sovereign purpose Paul tells us as much in Romans 8, verse 28. You probably know this scripture when he says, and we know that in all things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Can you see here the heart of God for reaching the rest of the world with the gospel? And that God will work through any obstacle to achieve that. If unbelief of Israel in the first century was not an obstacle that God could not overcome, neither will today any obstacle that's put in front of the church be a stopping point for the church. Whether that's nations in the world that seem to have locked down against the gospel, or even this nation, the United States, that seems to have enacted some roadblocks to the gospel. And Jesus told us in the Great Commission that we, you, and me, we're supposed to be a part of this spreading of the world. We are to lock arms with God and in what God is doing and be a partner with God in reaching the world with the gospel, which includes ministering and discipling here at home, locally. We know that we can't be all places at all times, but if we ignore the needs of the people nearest to us, we're missing the point of Jesus' instruction to us to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. He meant the neighborhood, the city, the state, the region, the nation, and the world. You know, those of us who went out yesterday to witness to the homeless, I think completely and universally understood the power of the profound effect of what we were doing by being out with people on the street, both on the mission field, on the homeless, as well as the effect on us, the missionaries. Now, with all of that as a backdrop, and the, you know, the direction from Jesus for us to be in the business of discipling and spreading the word of God and appreciating that God will work through every obstacle in order to achieve his glory we have validated the mission, making disciples of Jesus Christ. We can do it. And we have confirmed the vision. And it's a compelling vision that if we achieve that mission of making Jesus, disciples of Jesus Christ, we will truly transform the world. And so it should be for America, one nation under God. But so often self-sabotaging itself, trying to be or allowing itself to be something it's not, which is a nation that's not under God. It's one of our principal roles as Christian Americans to assist in changing that. So let me ask you a question. Is the best of our nation still yet to come? It's interesting to me that we have already named the greatest generation. You all know what I'm talking about. It's folks who were born between like 1920 or 1900 and 1925, many of whom fought in World War II. Now, when we labeled that generation, 
the greatest generation. We didn't do that in order to mean, I don't think, that it would be the greatest generation ever. And I think if you could poll that greatest generation to a person, they would say, we were not the greatest generation for nothing. We became the greatest generation in order that our nation might have future, even greater generations. To carry that a step further, any resting that we do on the laurels, the successes of the greater generation, is the wrong thing to do. Instead, the question we need to be asking ourselves is this, how do we become the next greatest generation? There's only one way to do it. Fight hard to reinstill in America that it is one nation under God. Because we know for that nation that no amount of our sins and our faults and our failures or even the unbelief of those around us can thwart God's higher purpose for that nation. God bless America. Let us pray. God, you've given us life and breath and, Lord, opportunity. We are here today listening to your voice or listening to this online, Lord. We know that we have the opportunity as long as we live on this earth to make a difference by spreading your gospel and knowing that when we do that, Lord, no obstacle will overcome your work, that when we introduce others to Jesus, the Holy Spirit works within them in your own way, in your own time, Lord. But you ask us to make the introduction. Lord, help give us the courage, the strength, the wisdom, and the stick to to do that every day of our lives while we're on this earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.